Thanks for tuning in for Love, Live, Lead, the broadcast ministry of Christ Community Church of Imperial Valley. We would love to help you plan your visit, so we encourage you to visit our website at www.cccciv.org for service times and our events calendar. Or get the app. You'll find the Christ Community Church IV mobile app in your app store for Apple or Android devices. Always being prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you for a reason for the hope that is in you, yet do it with gentleness and respect. I hate to say it, but most Christians will back down if it means suffering for their faith. There are many who retract, even in our culture. There's cultural issues we deal with. And for a lot of Christians, they say, you know, I'm not going to suffer rejection. I'm not going to suffer this and I'm not going to suffer that. I would rather just back down and keep my mouth shut. But if you understand what the scriptures teach, there's going to be times where we suffer, even as a good person, unjustly. And if we can understand the suffering of a good person a little bit more, then we can gain some insight into the problem of undeserved suffering even more. And it is for this reason that we are looking at Psalm 44 this morning. What an introduction. <laughs> Don't worry, I'm not going to cover the whole psalm. I'm going to skip over some of it, just giving you a flyby. But Psalm 44 is the lament of good people who are suffering. Psalm 44 is the lament of good people who are suffering. The background of the text is the armies of Israel have gone out into holy war to fight the battles of the Lord, and instead of achieving a victory, they suffer a humiliating defeat. And having suffered that defeat, the king and the people go back to the temple and they pour out their complaint before the Lord. Now you get a feel for their lament in verse 22 because it, the Apostle Paul quotes it in his own experience in Romans chapter 8. But verse 22 says, Yet for your sake we are killed all the day long. We are regarded as sheep to be slaughtered. So the structure of this psalm is interesting as you probably picked up as we read through it. And that's, I'm just briefly going to talk about the structure and the content of the psalm because it falls into four parts. First of all, it begins with a word of confidence. We see this in verses 1 through 8. There's a word of confidence. They find their confidence in God's past faithfulness to their fathers. Look at verses 1 through 3. O God, we have heard with our ears... Our fathers have told us what deeds you performed in their days, in the days of old. You with your own hand drove out the nations, but them you planted. You afflicted the peoples, but them you set free. For not by their own sword did they win the land, nor did their own arm save them. But your right hand and your arm and the light of your face, for you delighted in them. So he begins with bringing up memories of the past because... Memories are really a handmaiden to faith. When we recount the past faithfulness of the Lord God Almighty, we can absolutely trust His faithfulness today. So, he then talks about God's faithfulness in the next three verses to them presently. 
He says, you are my king, O God. Ordain salvation for Jacob. Through you, we push down our foes. Through your name, we tread down those who rise up against us. For not in my bow do I trust, nor can my sword save me. But you have saved us from our foes and have put to shame those who hate us. In God, we have boasted continually, and we will give thanks to your name forever. So you see, this, this psalm begins with a word of confidence. Confidence in God's past workings. Confidence in God's present workings. But then all of a sudden, it takes a sharp turn and it moves into a complaint or the lament of the people, which we see in verses 9 through 16. Their voice of faith turns to the voice of sight. And this is what actually happened on the battlefield. First four verses, they describe their defeat. In the next four verses, they describe the taunt and humiliation which they have experienced as a result of their defeat. But you have rejected us and disgraced us. Now they're talking about the same God, by the way. And have not gone out with our armies. You have made us turn back from the foe. And those who have hated us have gotten spoiled. You have made us like sheep for slaughter and have scattered us among the nations. You have sold your people for a trifle, demanding no high price for them. You have made us the taunt of our neighbors, the derision and scorn of those around us. You have made us a byword among the nations, a laughingstock among the peoples. All day long my disgrace is before me, and shame has covered my face at the sound of the taunter and reviler, at the sight of the enemy and the avenger. Do you hear the complaint? Can you see the suffering that they're enduring right now as they pour out before the Lord, their lament before Him? They understand God's past faithfulness to their fathers. They understand God's faithfulness in their own lives to this point. But now all of a sudden, they begin to pour out to the Lord a complaint, and this had to do with the defeat. What's going on, God? What's really happening here? I mean, you're the God who gives us the victories. You're the God who has brought us to where we are. And now we go out on the battlefield and you don't go with us? We go out on the battlefield and instead of obtaining the victory that we knew we were going to have, we suffered a defeat. A defeat so bad that our enemies are taunting us. Talk about humiliation, Lord. Can you see the suffering that's going on there? You see it in their complaint. But now, watch what happens. They move to a protest. They protest the Lord in verses 17 to 22. This is the undeserved suffering. We are good people, as I defined earlier. Look at verses 17. All this has come upon us, though we have not forgotten you. And we have not been false to your covenant. Our heart is not turned back, nor have our steps departed from your way. Yet you have broken us in the place of jackals and covered us with the shadow of death. If we had forgotten the name of our God or spread out our hands to foreign God, would not God discover this? In other words, would he not have raised up a prophet? For he knows the secrets of the heart. Yet for your sake, 
We were killed all the day long. We were regarded as sheep to be slaughtered. They're like, we've not violated your laws, God. We've not forgotten your covenant, Lord. We've honored you. We've not forgotten your name. In other words, God, we have done nothing wrong and we are suffering right now. You ever feel that way? Where you're pursuing God and everything you're doing is putting God first and all of a sudden, bam! A defeat comes. And confusion begins to enter in because you can't identify it. You cannot put your finger on it because you're not in gross sin. It's not the deserved sin. It's not the sin where you're like pounding down alcohol day in and day out, and then all of a sudden you're diagnosed with liver cancer. This is their protest. Lord, we could understand this thing if we were out of your will. We could understand this thing if we transgressed the boundaries of your word and violated your covenant, O God. This we can understand, but we cannot understand this. That's their cry. That's what's going on right now. Now look at the petition in the last four verses. Awake! Why are you sleeping, O Lord? Rouse yourself. Do not reject us forever. Why do you hide your face? Why do you forget our affliction and oppression? For our soul is bowed down to the dust. Our belly clings to the ground. Rise up. Come to our help. Redeem us for the sake of your steadfast love. Do you see their confusion in verse 23 and 24? They don't understand it. In fact, the word why, the word of lack of understanding, why, 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 is seen three times in verses 23 and 24. Why, 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 why? I've been there before. I don't know if you've been there before, but I've been there where I've lacked understanding in a particular trial, and I don't get it, I don't understand it, and my cry to the Lord is a one-word prayer. Why? Why? See, that's too often the case with us. We don't know the immediate cause of our sufferings. Just like the man of God who wrote this psalm under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit couldn't give an answer. And sometimes you and I just don't know. We just don't know. But the Spirit of God gave this psalm to teach us truths that we can live by so that when we're under suffering, we can orient our lives in the right direction. When I was returning from Thailand, the total flight time is about 20 hours. You know, fly to Seoul, then I had to fly to Beijing, and then I flew to Chiang Mai in Thailand, and 20 hours of flying time coming home. And out of those 20 hours of flying time, like 19 and a half hours, the flight was the smoothest flight you could ever imagine. Then all of a sudden, the last 30 minutes, things kind of got a little ridiculous. The plane started hopping around a little bit. Too much for my comfort. You know, what do you do, right? You throw open the shade to the window because if you're going to crash, you want to see it, right? And <laughs> how stupid. Why don't you just leave it shut? 
Get on your knees and pray. That's not what I did. I threw open the shade, and, and then when I threw open the shade, because the last time I threw open the shade was probably about an hour before that, and it was perfect visibility, not a cloud in the sky. I throw open the shade now. We're coming into LAX, one of the busiest airports in the world, and you cannot see a thing. So you check your seatbelt. <laughs> you say, Lord, bring me in. But it's at that time when the pilot switched from flying the plane through visibility to using the instrument panel. That's what they always do. Even though they lose visibility, they know where they are at all times because of the instrument panel. And suffering is like flying in bad weather. When you're flying through the storms of suffering in your life, unless you know where you are at all times, when you lose visibility, then you will panic or you will go into hysteria. And so when we go through these storms of suffering, we don't know why, then we must switch to the instrument panel, the Word of God. And Psalm 44 actually becomes an instrument panel for those times where we go through our season of suffering, when we're going through this time where, where things just you can't see clearly, you don't know why. Confusion may even enter in a little bit. That's when you go back to God's Word and Psalm 44 actually becomes an instrument panel. And there's two important truths I want you to see that are in this Scripture that actually apply to you and me today, even though it was written way back then while Israel suffered a defeat that they never expected to suffer and they were going through their own time of suffering. The psalmist, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, gives you and I what we should do when we enter those times so we have an instrument panel to go by. That leads to these two kinds of responses. That's all. Two responses in this psalm that I want you to see. The first one is this. That you and I can live confidently in God's sovereignty. That you and I can live confidently in God's sovereignty. When we use the term God's sovereignty, we mean that God is in complete control of the universe. And the Bible actually teaches this all through Scripture. God is in complete control, including the suffering that God's people go through. God doesn't directly cause everything to happen, but He does allow all that happens to happen. He may not be the direct result of certain sufferings in our life, but everything that happens, He allows to happen. He allows it to happen. And ultimately, His will is going to be accomplished. Ultimately, His will is going to be accomplished. It doesn't matter what things look like outside and how the visibility may be zero, but we know that God's will is going to be accomplished. One of the first things you and I learn when we become Christians is what? You hear it eh, a week to two weeks after you're saved. God is in control. You hear it out of almost every Christian's mouth. God is in control. And usually people have no problem saying that as long as their prayers are being answered the way they want them answered. 
It is when the times of suffering enter in, do you really still believe that God is in control? The psalmist actually acknowledges that God is in control even though they didn't understand it. Watch this. We see this in the complaint section. Look at verse 9. But you have rejected us. Verse 10. But you have made us turn back. Verse 11. You have made us like sheep. Verse 12. You have sold your people. Verse 13. You have made us the taunt. Verse 14. You have made us a byword. On and on and on, the psalmist points to the throne of God. Now you say, why is that important? Because if you really believe that God is sovereign and in control of all things, even in our suffering, we can point to God being in control. He is actually acknowledging that it was God who put him on the battlefield. He is actually acknowledging that it was God who allowed them to suffer the defeat. And one of the first lessons that you and I need to learn in our seasons of suffering is that God never ever loses control. Sometimes when things go bad, you know, we're like, yeah, God's the pilot of my plane. I'm just flying and he's the pilot of my life and he's the one flying. Then all of a sudden we hit a little bit of turbulence. We become a white knuckle flyer. Then we hit a little bit more turbulence and we act like God lost all control that he parachuted out of the plane and we're just waiting for it to crash. That's not what the scriptures teach, friends. The Scriptures never ever teach that God loses control at any moment. Any moment in our lives. God is sovereign in our suffering even though we may not understand it. Job didn't understand it. Job is a book that we always point people to when they're going through suffering. If somebody's going through a deep valley in their life, Christians are known for pointing people to the book of Job. Why? Because Job endured much suffering throughout his life. He lost his family, he lost his business, everything else. At the end, he gets doubly blessed because we learn that with God, at the end, it's always better than the beginning. It's always better than the beginning. And so Job's going through this suffering, and as he's going through this suffering, he doesn't know why. His three friends show up and they try and give him answers for it, but he's still confused. He doesn't know why. When he asks God why, the only answer God gives him is, where were you, Job, when I laid the foundations of the world? In other words, are you questioning my wisdom and my power, Job? Now, you and I read chapter 1 and chapter 2 where Satan approaches the throne of God. And when Satan approaches the throne of God, we read where God suggests to go after Job. It, Satan comes and says, where you been? He says, well, I'm you know, running to and fro on the earth. And it was God who said, have you considered my servant Job? Oh, Job, he, he just serves you because you bless him. You've given him family, you've given him business, everything else, but that's the only way he's, uh, reason he serves you, God. You take all of that away and he will not serve you. And you know what God said? He will hold fast to his integrity. 
And Satan went after him. God allowed that. And through all of it, Job maintained his integrity, which teaches you and I today the doctrine of the perseverance of saints, which means that no matter what, God's people are going to make it to the end, no matter how much suffering they endure. But Job didn't understand it. Had Job known the conversation that God had with Satan, then the test would have been null and void. But because he didn't know, and he had to fly blindly with only an instrument panel, knowing who God was. Jesus, so here he is in the New Testament. Jesus shows up, and he's with his disciples. They come across a blind man. The guy's been suffering blindness for 38 years. He was born blind. And the disciples say to Jesus, hey, who sinned, this guy or his parents? See, they only understood the principle of retribution. They only understood the principle of deserved suffering. And Jesus said, neither one of them suffered. His parents didn't suffer and he didn't suffer, but so that the works of God would be glorified. That's why he was in his mode of suffering. Jesus heals the blind man. Jesus heals the blind man. But the blind man didn't know why he went 38 years with suffering. He had no clue that Jesus was going to show up on the scene one day and he was going to be an example of what it means for somebody to be born again when Jesus opens their eyes. And now they can see clearly, not just physically, but spiritually because he ultimately acknowledges Jesus as his Savior. When we're flying through these seasons of blind suffering, we need to approach God as a trusting child not a wounded animal you know you ever try and help a wounded animal they run from you you get a bird and he's got a broken wing and you're trying to help the bird and what does the bird do he turns around he runs from you but a trusting child will always go to their parent i still recall you know there's certain things that you remember in your child's life as they're growing up even into adulthood there's certain things that stick in your mind that are just at the top of your mind. One of those is the first time that Grisel and I had to take Cameron to get his shots when he was a baby. To this day, I wish I would have stayed home because I still remember his face. We bring him into the doctor and everything's cool. You know, we're playing with him and, you know, just everything's nice. We're holding him and whatnot. Then we get him into the doctor's room and here comes a doctor with a white suit on and a big needle. And he walks up and acts like nothing and just jabs Cameron in the leg with it and shoots him with... And he, Cameron turned towards us. And there was that pause. I can describe it to you vividly. It's like it happened yesterday and he's 21 years old now and he's married. But he turned towards us and he just... This pause for a minute, there was a brief pause, and then he started to cry. Like, I trusted you. <laughs> you don't think he was confused at the time? He doesn't understand shots and, and health and things like that. He knows nothing of that stuff. And, but here's the thing. What I noticed was, once the doctor moved away and the shots were done, and when Grissel picked him up, he hugged Griselle tighter. He didn't lose his trust in her. 
even though he didn't understand what just took place and that suffering he just went through, he still trusted us as his parents even more. He hugged Griselle tighter. That's what we need to do in our times of suffering. We need to hug God tighter. Thanks for tuning in for Love, Live, Lead, the broadcast ministry of Christ Community Church of Imperial Valley. Christ Community Church has campuses in El Centro, Calexico, and Brawley with services in English and in Spanish. Your kids are going to love our kids' church. Plus, we have a lively youth ministry and young adults group. You're welcome to call the church office at 760-337-9400 with your questions. Or leave us a message on the Christ Community Church IV mobile app, the cccivy.org website, or direct message us on social media. We are really looking forward to meeting you. So again, the website is www.cccivy.org or call 760-337-9400 so we can plan your visit.